Hi, this is Edwin Crozier again from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. A special treat for you in this lesson, Brother James Wood, one of our members at the Franklin Church, preached this back in October of 2005. He said, Thou shalt not covet. But what an interesting approach to what too many people are coveting. So open your Bible and find out what it is that we shouldn't be coveting and holding for ourselves. Buenas noches. Bienvenida de la Franklin, Iglesia de Cristo. Good evening. Welcome to the Franklin Church of Christ. Happy to see your face this evening. And I'm happy to share this, uh, this time with you. I enjoy uh, spending time with you in this capacity, and I'm thankful for the uh, opportunity to do so from time to time. Hope you've had a good afternoon. And we've got a we've got a little different crowd tonight from what we had this morning. A few fewer. And what that says is you've decided to come here and that you care. And so tonight I'd like to talk with you as your friend, as your brother, as your fellow worker in Christ from the heart about some things that I would like to convey on our evangelistic front. And I had, I had a slide presentation, but it was just one slide, and I didn't get it fixed uh, before 6 o'clock rolled around, so we'll do without the slide presentation this evening. I think we'll get along just fine. If you would, go ahead and be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin reading here in just a moment. I've entitled this lesson, Thou Shalt Not Covet. And that title, in and of itself, has a particular connotation. When we say that we shouldn't covet, we think about material things. We think about things that we don't have already, that others do, that... We want. And yet there is a place in Scripture that I've found this word used a few other places in this way that talks about covetousness in a different light. It still deals with the material. But what I would like to do this evening is to take this concept of covetousness and translate it into another area, our evangelism. Let's begin by reading 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to the Corinthian brethren, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, 
so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now, to me, I found that a strange place to insert this word. And it made me think, who's being covetous? The typical definition of of coveting, you would think that those who were going to receive the gift might be affected by covetousness, having not received it. But if we look at verse 5 again, the brethren are the Macedonians that Paul urged to go to the Corinthian brethren. That they go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised gift. And so if we tie everything together in the, in the following verses that talk about sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly, the covetousness is assigned to the Corinthians. I don't particularly care for the NIV, but its rendering of this verse sheds a little more light. It says, as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given in place of covetousness. Not one grudgingly given. And so that squarely assigns the coveting that might take place. We cannot assume from this this reading that the Corinthians were coveting. But what might happen is that that this gift might be affected by covetousness. The Greek word here is pleonexia. And W.E. Vine comments about it this way. It is a gift which betrays the giver's unwillingness to bestow what is due. It's a gift which betrays the giver's unwillingness to bestow what is due. The Corinthians would be coveting something they already had. Not something that they saw from another person or another group that they did not have of their own. This was something in their possession. Something they possessed that they were slow to give away. And would do so only when for shame. They could not keep it any longer. And that is the property of a covetous heart. Now, as I said, we're not talking about the material. Kenny and others here could testify to the great generosity that this group has exhibited to the relief effort. And all of those others who work behind the scenes when the need is there. But I would like to take this concept of coveting, possessive covetousness, and translate it from the tangible, the material, to the intangible, our evangelism. Turn with me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life 
to life? And who is adequate for these things? Let me begin by asking you, what fragrance are you? What fragrance are we collectively? We know what we are to each other. We have a strong bond here. In the short time that Andrea and I have been here, we've come to know and to love each of you. And that is reciprocated. And so I know that we are a sweet aroma to ourselves. But what about to those who are perishing? Those who are outside the camp? Are you fragrant to those? Are you odorous to those? I fear that in some respects, we have become muted to the outside world. That we carry no odor at all. That there is no discernment, either odorous or fragrant, to those who are perishing. In verse 17, For we are not like many peddling the Word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We are not peddling the Word. And so many of the religious groups that are out there today are doing just that. Fraudulently peddling the Word. We're to strive to be different from other religions, denominations, and corruptions around us. If we take away the option of individuals visiting with us, how do we stand out? How do we stand out from the groups that are around us? Does a postcard alone convey our delineation? There's an element at the end of this verse that must be present. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13 says, But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Brethren, we must speak because we believe. We must. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And that is not the root for the evangelist. That is Caruso. And that is a herald. Someone who proclaims. Anyone who proclaims. It is our job. We cannot do the work of the church without evangelism. Do I stand here before you in purity and a clean conscience about this matter? Have I done all that I can? I do not. And God help me. 
I stand together with you in this fall, if it be yours. But if we collectively are not fragrant, fragrant, if we collectively are not speaking, then we must also heed the warning that is found in the letter to the Laodiceans in Revelation, in which God said, because you are neither hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And zeal is not the issue. If I asked you this evening, if you were zealous for the Lord, I surely would get a yes, an emphatic yes. I am zealous for the Lord. Zeal was not the problem for the Corinthians either. Back over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice in verse 2, Paul says, I know your readiness. He says that Achaia has been prepared since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. This zeal was well known and was stirring up the brethren in the other congregations in the region. And yet the task was still unperformed. Why? From what I can read in the text, the promise was made. It was made known to the brethren. They were zealous for it. It just hadn't been done. It just had not been accomplished. It seems like, to me, a simple case of procrastination. A willingness and a zeal and a love for the Lord and for the brethren and for those in our example who are perishing. But the task just has not been performed. Let it not be said that the Franklin Church of Christ has coveted the Word of God that the beauty was known, that it was made known to the brethren, but it simply was not done. The real world, though, strays from the example a little as to the willingness of the receiving party. The Macedonians were very willing and were ready to receive what the Corinthians were about to give the bountiful gift that they have. With evangelism, it's not always that easy. We don't always meet the other party with that kind of enthusiasm. In fact, we're often rejected. And it is to that that I would like to speak to you for just a few minutes about our efforts. Ask yourself, who have you taken the gospel to? And on an average, who are the types of people that you've taken the gospel to? Who more frequently than others? And have you taken it to that person within the last week? 
to that type of person within the last two weeks? Has it been a month? Has it been more than a month? So we may have two issues at hand. That of frequency and that of the person themselves. I don't like to talk about social classes because I think as a Christian we should be blind to the social hierarchies that are portrayed. But as a, for the sake of discussion, I, I must make a distinction here. And I would say that most of us would be middle to upper class with respect to socioeconomic status. Middle to upper class. Perhaps, perhaps it's a lack of effort. Perhaps we have not been successful at our efforts because we have not realized the need for a change of focus. Look with me over in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, in the parable of the dinner, starting in verse 16. Our Lord says, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the, la- and the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. It was the Sabbath and the whole assembly of the Jews had assembled. And there was a great acceptance of the gospel and the Jews that were there were filled with jealousy and envy and began to refute, try to refute everything that Paul and Barnabas were saying. And they began to blaspheme. And in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, meaning the Jews, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles.
if our peers judge themselves unworthy of eternal life, then we must not discontinue speaking, but we must take the word outside our immediate sphere of influence. I want you to look around you tonight. If we were a business, what would our equal opportunity scorecard look like? How would we rate? If we go, this will mean change. It will mean change to what we're used to. Because I guarantee you, there will be those who accept. Those who are not lacking, do not want, have comfort, do not want the gospel in general. They have everything they need, and they suppose they have it by their own hand. If we go, we change the makeup of this congregation. We grow. We experience real growth. Our comfort levels will be tested. We will have language barriers to overcome. But can we afford not to go? You're not human if you aren't apprehensive about change. I think it is why we tend to stagnate. It's because we like things the way it is. We like things the way they are. Things are going along smoothly. We're comfortable. Do you want real growth? Then we must take the word to those who are willing to receive it. Muster the courage. Learn the language. Do what it takes, but do not let it be said of the Franklin Church of Christ that this congregation coveted the Word of God. We have an opportunity. Our fall focus is coming up. And I believe this has gone out uh, to those in the community. But I have a personal conviction that I don't think this is enough. It must be met with a face. It must be met with a personality. The lines of delineation must be drawn that separate us from the rest of the religious community. That there is something substantive here, something real, and that we care, we truly care about their soul.
make good on this opportunity. We have not talked about the invitation, but we don't want to let the, that opportunity pass us by this evening. We talked this morning about the journey of Christ, the establishment of His kingdom, and the path to salvation from the Old Testament. And if you are subject to that invitation this evening, if you know what you need to do to enter the kingdom and have decided that I shouldn't wait any longer, then this opportunity is available to you. And we pray that you will take it to enter into this loving family and to participate in the work that we have before us. Likewise, if you have partaken, been washed in the blood, have been once sanctified and have let sin creep back into your life, God has not closed the door. There's never enough sin in your life with an unwilling, without an unwilling heart that Christ won't take you back. That opportunity is available for you this evening as well. If you're subject, won't you come forward while we stand and sing? I hope this lesson was interesting to you as we learned that well, far too many people are coveting the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is, holding it to themselves. If you have any question about the gospel, about teaching the gospel, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone gave you this lesson in a CD or on a tape. If so, may I encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format, and use them in whatever way that you think will benefit God's people and glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.